Good morning, Regent. And uh, the scripture we'll be reading today is in Luke chapter 13, verses 31 through 35, called A Lament Over Jerusalem. At that very hour, some Pharisees came and said to him, Get away from here, for Herod wants to kill you. And he said to them, Go and tell that fox, Behold, I cast out demons and perform cures today and tomorrow, and the third day I finish my course. Nevertheless, I must go on my way today and tomorrow, and the day following, for it cannot be that a prophet should perish away from Jerusalem. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it, how often would I have gathered your children together as a hen her brood under her wings, and you would not. Behold, your house is forsaken, and I tell you, you will not see me until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, uh, thank you for your word. We cherish it so much and we love it, and Holy Spirit, we ask that you would speak through it. I ask, God, that you would soften our hearts, that you would open our minds to what your word has to say to us this morning. Not the audible words coming out of my mouth, Lord, but how you minister supernaturally into the hearts and minds of people. Please touch the people in the sanctuary this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Luke chapter 13, verses 31 through 35 is what we're going to be uh, covering this morning. Um, when I say pyramids, what do you think of? What country? And, and when I say the Taj Mahal, what, now, now this one's going to be really, really difficult. This one's really difficult. The Great Wall of China. <laughs> See? See? No one got it. And so... Um, See, there are landmarks that are associated with uh, particular areas, cities, countries. And it's not just the landmarks that help us to identify places. Events help us identify places as well, right? So there's this strong association between an event that happened there and where it happened. So much so that an event actually defines the place and, and you don't even have to explain the event. You, you kind of already know and you just kind of mention the location and you already know. For example, if I say Columbine, right? You, you know the event. You don't have to... If I say Tiananmen Square, if I say Hiroshima, you already know. And so it was for Jerusalem, which became known for its events that happened there. So you see, Jesus said in verse 34, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. Jerusalem had developed a reputation for killing God's prophets, for, for killing God's messengers, and yet Jerusalem is the city that Jesus has set His face upon to journey towards, as Jesus told us in Luke chapter 9, verse 51, and in Luke chapter 13, verse 22. His face is set to the very place that is known to kill prophets and kill God's messengers, yet He's still going there. 
Now back in Luke chapter 13, verse 28, Jesus said, In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves are cast out. All the prophets. So many of them killed by the fathers, the grandfathers, the forefathers that are listening to Jesus as He's speaking. They are in Jesus' audience. Those people's fathers, grandfathers, and forefathers killed all the prophets who ultimately were pointing them to Jesus. They were were all telling them about Jesus. You look with me to Luke 24, which at this pace we're going to get to um, by the end of the world, December 21st, 2012, Mayan calendar. Hopefully we make it that far. It's a bummer that it's also December 21st too because I was so looking forward to giving the Christmas message on December 23rd. But anyway, we go through chapter by chapter, verse by verse here, right? Through the Bible. That's, that's what we do here. If you're new to this church, this is what we do here. Because like Paul said in Acts chapter 20, verse 27, I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. And that's one of my desires as a pastor, to declare to you the whole counsel of God, to not shrink away from any issue that's in the Bible. Now, some of you may be wondering, you know, there's certain controversial issues or there's certain issues that we haven't talked about yet and you, we, we really want to cover them. And all I have to tell you is if you just stick around here long enough, we're going to get to it. You know, we will get to it. You know, some people are really trying to vie for, come on, talk about this issue, talk about this issue. If you just stick around long enough, we're going to get to it. The Bible talks about the most important things, and so we're going to get to it. And I'm not going to shrink away from anything that the Bible addresses, but currently we're studying the Gospel of Luke, and this is what God has for us. We declare the whole counsel of God by unpacking the verses before us in a systematic way. We, we do it in, in, in a consecutive expository from a whole book of the Bible. And that's not to say that we stay entirely away from topical sermons, because we've done those too. But the vast majority of how we look at the Bible at this church is by looking at the Bible from consecutive passages through a, an entire book. Now someone in the church not too long ago asked me when we we're going to talk about hell and judgment and I had to ask him, you know, later on what, what he thought about that. But he asked me that a year and a half ago. Oh, I think over in a year and a half ago now. And he told me, you know, Pastor Albert, it's really important for the, for the church to hear about God's judgment and to hear about hell because it's so real. And I said, I, I totally agree. And we're going to get to it. I said, it, it's coming. And, and, and this is the subject matter that we've been on for the past few months now. If you've been here for the past few months, this is what we've been talking about. And so not too long ago, I approached the one that asked me if I was going to preach on hell and judgment and things like that. And I asked him, have you had enough about judgment and hell? And and he said, yes. (laughs) Man, yeah, I've had enough. And, And so be careful what you ask for. Now back to Jesus and how all the prophets were ultimately pointing to Jesus. In Luke chapter 24, verses 25 through 27, Jesus spoke to two of his followers on their way to Emmaus right after his resurrection. And this is what he said. O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. From Moses and all 
the prophets. What all the prophets said is really important to look at if we are to understand who Jesus is and why Jesus came. See, why is it important to study the whole counsel of God? You see why that is important? From Genesis to Revelation, for us to reveal all the prophets. And I know of some pastors who who don't value the Old Testament. The Old Testament is old. It's the New Covenant. Just study the New. How can that be? If all the prophets were pointing to Jesus, you're going to leave them all out? That, That can't be. You don't have the New Testament without the Old. You can't fully understand the New Testament without the Old. Okay, so to our text this morning, verse 31. At that very hour, some Pharisees came and said to him, Get away from here, for Herod wants to kill you. Now the word I'd like us to to hone in on is this word, wants. Herod wants to kill you. Now in the ESV, the version that is in our Pew Bibles, that version of the Bible that we currently use, which is a good translation, but when looking at verse 34, it doesn't quite give us the exact translation the students of the Bible would appreciate directly from the Greek. The NASB is a little bit closer to it, and some of you may be wondering, with this, so why don't we use the NASB? It doesn't read as well, and we've just decided as a church that we're going to go with the ESV. It's still a good translation. It's just, for this particular verse, the NASB reads better. And so this is what it reads in verse 34. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together just as a hen gathers her brood under her wings and you would not have it. Now verse 31, Herod wants to kill Jesus. Verse 34, Jesus wants to gather his people. It's the same word in the Greek. And this Greek word appears two more times at the end of verse 30. The NASB translates it like this. You would not have it. And so you would and have it. Those are two separate times that the same Greek word is used once. So essentially, you don't want to. Herod wants to kill Jesus. Jesus wants to save His people. The people don't want Jesus. Now keep that in mind as we go back to verse 31 now. At that very hour, some Pharisees came and said to him, Get away from here, for Herod wants to kill you. Now don't mistake the Pharisees as, as some, some good guys who are looking out for Jesus and they want to protect Jesus. And, hey, get away from here. He, he's coming for you. Leave, leave, get out of here. That, don't forget that some of these guys have a grudge against Jesus. They don't like Him. And you notice that Luke records for us that some Pharisees came and said to him. So some. It's not all of them, right? We can't clump them in in either way. It's some. Some of these guys hated Jesus for what He taught, for what He did. Some Pharisees hated that He had so many people following Him and not following them. And they were put in their place by Jesus. And some of these Pharisees repeatedly tried to catch Jesus violating Judaic law with His actions and His words so so they could find Him guilty and they could stop His growing influence. But, there were also some Pharisees who weren't as adamantly opposed to Jesus. There were some who would rather follow Jesus than follow their fellow Pharisees. Some would follow Jesus instead of following Herod. But there were some who despised Him also. And they would rather follow Herod. And there was a group who didn't mind Jesus, and there was a group that wanted Him dead. 
Now I'm sure if this group of Pharisees was supportive of Jesus and was telling Jesus to take off, maybe maybe it's that way, I don't know. Maybe this verse is telling us there were these group of Pharisees saying like, Jesus, get out of here. We want you to live. And maybe this group of Pharisees is actually, maybe they have an ulterior motive and wanted Jesus to move out because if He moved out of Herod's jurisdiction, they would move into their jurisdiction, the Sanhedrin's jurisdiction. So moving Him into a more vulnerable place, I don't know. You can't really tell with these verses what the motives are or why he's why they're telling him what they're doing. This is what we do know. What we do know is that Herod is not a fan of Jesus. We know that. What I think is Herod's intimidated. I think Herod's threatened by Jesus. And the reason why I think this is because if you were Herod, put yourself in his place, wouldn't you be? Think about this. You're Herod. Jesus has thousands of followers and the numbers continue to grow. You killed his cousin, John the Baptist. You cut his head off. You put it on a platter. Wouldn't you be a little bit concerned about Jesus, his cousin, a blood relative with thousands of followers and within his discipleships, there's a zealot. Wouldn't you be concerned? So who knows if these particular Pharisees in in our text this morning were telling Jesus this for His benefit? Or they were telling this for their own preservation? Or as Herod's pawns? Who knows? Now think about this. If Jesus moved further away out of Herod's jurisdiction and into Judean jurisdiction, into the Judean region, and so He moves into the Sanhedrin jurisdiction, Herod would feel less threatened, right? He's out of my hair. He's, he's now in, in, in their territory. And then it could bring Jesus into the Sanhedrin territory where the ruling council of the Jews, they would have say in what happens to Jesus. They would have say in, in what He can do and what He can't do. And maybe some of these Pharisees were, were trying to get Jesus into their jurisdiction so they had more control as to how to plot against Him. Who knows? What we do know is Jesus set His face to go to Jerusalem. Jesus knew He had to go to Jerusalem. In other words, Jesus knew He had to go to the cross. And nothing was going to deter Him from that. Jesus said in Luke chapter 9, verse 22, "...the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised." So it didn't matter didn't matter what the Pharisees said or thought or what Herod said or thought. Jesus' face was set on Jerusalem. And since the birth of Jesus incarnate, His destination to Jerusalem was set. There was nothing that was going to change that. Now, if you knew of a group that hated you, and you knew that this group was plotting against you for your demise, and, and, and that they wanted to kill you, would you associate with them at all? If you knew that there was this group out there, would you want to associate with them at all? Check Jesus out in Luke chapter 14, verse 1. It says, One Sabbath when He went to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees, they were watching Him carefully. Don't you find that interesting? 
Jesus knew that some of the Pharisees opposed him. They knew that some of them were were against him. They they were for his demise. They knew that they wanted to kill him. But he still wanted to eat with one of their rulers of the Pharisees. He goes into their home anyway. You know, it's not even like he said, like, yeah, um, we'll hang out and I'm going to meet you at In-N-Out. He goes into their house. Right? It's not some like third party place. He goes into their home. See, Jesus is so full of grace. He's so for, full of forgiveness and so full of love. You put yourself in Jesus' Birkenstocks for a moment. There's a group of people who hate you, who think of ways to harm you, and who want to kill you. And, and, and again, it's not all of them, right? It's some of the Pharisees. So if that's the case, that this group of, of people wants to do that to you, would you want to associate with any of them? Right? Don't you think that most people would want to distance themselves from people who are hateful towards them? Probably most, but that's, this is not Jesus. This is what Jesus has to say about love. Let me read from 1 Corinthians chapter 13 for you. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but I have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. Jesus is the epitome of love. We see that. We see that how He's interacting with the Pharisees here. We see that, that, that this is Jesus. You ever wondered what love got Jesus? You ever wonder about that? You ever wondered how Jesus' love influenced people? Who He touched? Because think about this. Who claimed Jesus' disfigured, bloodied, bruised, lifeless body after they brought Him down from the cross? Joseph of Arimathea. Now who was Joseph of Arimathea? He was a member of the Sanhedrin, a Pharisee. Luke chapter 23, verses 50 through 53. Now there was a man named Joseph from the Jewish town of Arimathea. He was a member of the council, the Sanhedrin, a good and righteous man who had not consented to their decision and action, and he was looking for the kingdom of God. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then he took it down and wrapped it in a linen shroud and laid him in a tomb cut in stone where no one had ever yet been laid. You see how Jesus loves his enemies? There's this group that absolutely despises him, hates him, and is plotting against him, yet he still finds someone within there and he ministers to them so much so that that person has such a great love for them, for Jesus. He does not care what he looks like to his peers. He brings him down. He takes care of Jesus' bruised, bloodied, busted up body and puts him in a tomb that he's already kind of laid for himself, but this is for Jesus. The love of Jesus is on the lookout for people like Joseph of Arimathea. 
You ever wonder about whether you're worthy to even be a disciple of Jesus? You look at yourself and you wonder, how can Jesus possibly love me? How can He possibly accept me? Because I've done things. I do things. I am part of things. I belong to things. I associate with them. Yet I'm loved by God no matter what I have done. You are loved by God no matter what things you have done, no matter who you associate with, no matter what you are doing. It's not even past tense. It's the present tense. What you are doing right now. question is, is, is whether you can really accept the love of God for you. question is whether you can extend that love to others after you've experienced that love from God. Let us be careful about throwing individuals into groups you have issues with. You have an issue with this larger group. Be careful about associating every single individual within that group as the group. Be careful that we don't label people in that way. That if that group has mistreated you, that you don't label every individual within that group as the same. Because isn't that the root of racism? Isn't that the root of intolerance? Isn't that the root of discrimination you label an entire group forgetting that there is a Joseph of Arimathea within that group tomorrow we celebrate Martin Luther King Day we're going to be celebrating that at our church we're going to host the stop the gunfire gathering right here at our church so we can pray and that we can network for the peace of Oakland And whether it's issues of race or gangs or or whatever, whatever groups are out there that we're clumping people into, how would our streets be if people didn't throw individuals into those types of generalities and identified people as the Joseph of Arimathea's within those larger groups? You know, thank God that Jesus doesn't look at us this way. That group of sinners, forget it. Right? Thank God that He doesn't look at this way. Jesus is for the Joseph of Arimathea. He's loving us in such a way that even within the camp of our strongest enemies, there are people within there that we can call dear friends. That if something were to happen to you, someone from within that enemy group might come out and actually come to your aid. May we look at people like this. Verse 32, And he said to them, Go and tell that fox, Behold, I cast out demons and perform cures today and tomorrow, and the third day I finish my course. Look at how Jesus responds to this. Go and tell that fox. Now, in our current day, that might be a compliment. But back then, Jesus didn't mean to tell Herod that he was a good-looking man. Right? Foxy. You know, he just... The way Jesus used it to show, to describe that this guy is crafty. He's crafty. He's sly. He's deceitful. He's devious. This is a sneaky guy. Go and tell that fox 
Behold, I cast out demons and perform cures today and tomorrow and the third day I finish my course. Jesus was essentially saying, I'm going to take care of my business. No matter what you guys are planning on doing, no matter how you guys are planning on scheming, I'm, I'm going to do my thing. I'm going to do what I was sent to do. I was going to do what I was born to do. And you notice what Jesus said at the end of verse 32, finish my course. Now, isn't it great to finish your course? Doesn't it make you feel really, really good when, when you finished getting your degree or you finished uh, some sort of race that you trained really hard for? You finished a project. Jesus knows exactly what he had to do to finish. He knew what he had to do, and he's not going to let anything, anyone stop him from finishing. Not Herod, not the Pharisees, no one. Now we must recognize that Jesus is using an idiom here, because between now and when he finished the course is not three days. Right? It's not three days. He's not speaking of three literal days here. He's simply saying he's going to continue with his business until he's done. And if he were saying three literal days... Then verse 33 would be inconsistent with verse 32. Let's read verse 33. Nevertheless, I must go on my way today and tomorrow and the day following, for it cannot be that a prophet should perish away from Jerusalem. So you see that? The day following is the third day. So in verse 32, it's an idiom. In verse 33, it's more literal. Now what Jesus is saying here is that I'm in control. God is in control. I'm going to go about my business. No one's going to stop me from doing what I need to do. There's no government. There's no person in power. There's no organization that's going to be able to stop me and my Father's divine plan. Nothing can stop it. And so he's going to go to Jerusalem, and there's no greater destination than Jerusalem for a prophet, even though they get killed there. But that's the place to go as a prophet. It's the religious center of over half the world's population today. If you look at monotheistic religions, it it is the center of the monotheistic religions of our day. So when Jesus said, For it cannot be that a prophet should perish away from Jerusalem, he didn't mean that a prophet can only die in Jerusalem. There have been people that have died outside of Jerusalem. Jesus was saying that prophets dying in Jerusalem, that was so common, it's just, you know, it's just an ordinary thing for a prophet to, to be killed there. Jerusalem became this place of death for the prophets. But Jesus, He redeemed it with His death and His resurrection that happened in Jerusalem. Now verse 34, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you would not. Now you notice how Jesus lamented for Jerusalem. And how he repeated its name twice at the beginning of verse 34. What Luke is doing is he's getting across the message of lament. And so he does it this way by writing in this type of repetitious way. You can read a similar style in 2 Samuel when David lamented over his son Absalom. Right? 2 Samuel chapter 18, verse 33. And the king was deeply moved and went up to the chamber over the gate and wept. As he went, he said, O my son Absalom, my son, my son Absalom, would I had not died instead of you? O Absalom, my son, my son. 
And David wept and he mourned again for Absalom. In 2 Samuel chapter 19, verse 4, the king covered his face and the king cried with a loud voice, O my son Absalom, O Absalom, my son, my son. And this type of name repetition is a way for the writer to express the sadness on behalf of the person speaking. And that's how Luke showed uh, Jesus' sadness for Martha when she just didn't quite get it in Luke chapter 10, verse 41. Martha, Martha, you're anxious and troubled about many things. And this is how Luke expressed Jesus' lament for Simon Peter in Luke chapter 22, verse 31. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. And so here we are in verse 34. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often I would have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you would not. You didn't want it. Jerusalem's whose heart is so hard, hard like the stones that they used to kill the prophets who came to her. Rejecting prophet after prophet, hardening their hearts towards God's message and His messengers. Why the rejection? God sent prophet after prophet and all He wanted was to care for them. You see that picture there? You see that picture of a hen gathering her brood, the the protection, the provision given by the hen to her chicks? You, You see that picture? I don't remember where I saw this. It was like Animal Planet or like Planet Earth or one of those things that my kids like to watch. But when you see a mother animal, whatever animal that may be, and notices that one of her young is killed and how they're just around there just mourning and grieving and and hoping that that animal would come back to life and nudging it and coming back to life. And you get that feeling there. And if you can transport that feeling into what Jesus was saying. Like, I, I just want to protect you. I just wanted to care for you. And, and you are on your way to death. And I just want to hold you to myself. But you're just killing all of the messengers of God. You're, you're killing all of us. How many of you find yourself not wanting what Jesus provides? That you want something else. That you've been praying for something and Jesus provides you something and you're like, oh no, I don't want that, I want this. What about His protection? You, you don't want that. And you're, you're like a child. Like, oh no, I don't want to hold your hand while I cross the street. I want to run by myself. Right? And, and so His protection, His provision has been substituted by, by many with the self. That, that you have enough education, that you have enough money, that you have enough family, you have enough whatever, and it may be that it gives you all of that false security. That you don't need Jesus anymore. That it's been just replaced by this idol. And all those idols are temporary. Even your family. And it gives us a false security. What happens to you when you enter life everlasting? 
Right? Well, your education doesn't come into play. Your money doesn't come into play. Your family can't do anything for you there. Only by Jesus Christ can you enter into an everlasting provision, into an everlasting security. So how is our heart towards those who don't have a relationship with Jesus? Jesus said in Luke chapter 5, verses 31 and 32, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick... I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Where is our heart for the lost? Where is our heart toward our own cities? Oh, Oakland. Oakland. The city that had 110 people killed last year. The city that had its first homicide on January 4th. Four days into the new year. Four. Last year it happened on January 1st. Where there are several hundred churches here. Did you know that? There's at least over 300 churches here. And God desires people to come to Him. But how many turn away from His provision and turn away from His protection? God's heart breaks for our city. If we don't turn to God, what will happen? Verse 35. Behold, your house is forsaken. And I tell you, you will not see Me until you say, Blessed is He who comes in the name of the Lord. Your house forsaken. See, Jesus saw what was before them. What was to come for all those in Jerusalem. He knew the destruction of Jerusalem was coming and what they were about to face from the Roman army. Right? So, utter destruction. Mass death. Total annihilation. If they had only embraced the prophets and heard what they were saying and did what they were saying. If they only accepted Jesus. But they didn't. And it's similar for us in that if we don't want Jesus, if we will not accept Him as our Savior from our sin, our house is forsaken. We'll have what we have temporarily. right? We'll have our house, we'll have our money, we'll have our jobs, we'll have our education. You'll still have all that stuff, but you don't have that forever. We all physically die. We all physically age. You will find you have nothing without Jesus. Your house is forsaken. Jesus has faithfully entrusted us with the Gospel message. What are we doing with it? We are a Bible-believing, loving church, and there are a good number of you who know what the Bible says about what will happen to those who don't know Jesus. You know You've been here long enough. You knew before you even stepped through these doors because you've been a Christian long enough. What are you doing with what you already know? Jesus said in Luke chapter 10, verse 2, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the, His harvest. Will you work the harvest? Will you earnestly pray for laborers? I don't know if you guys realize this. If you're a Christian and you are in this church, you are so needed. 
Not your presence just to sit here. You as a worker, as a laborer for the harvest, are so needed to work that harvest. The prayers for the lost are so needed. Your earnest prayers for the lost are so needed. Some of you don't realize how much your prayers are needed, how much your labor is needed. We're going to start chapter 14 next week. And we won't get to this verse for a couple of weeks, but go to verse 23 in chapter 14. Go out to the highways and the hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. Now, this is not talking about filling our church. This is talking about bringing people into the kingdom of God. Filling up the kingdom of God. Do I want people to fill up this church? Of course I do. Of course I want them to come in here. Why? Because we worship God here. We pray to God here. We have great fellowship with one another here. The Holy Spirit is here. We preach the Word of God here. Of course I want them to come into our church. But coming to church is a long distant second to entering the kingdom of God. We need to go out to the highways and the hedges and compel people to go into the kingdom. Now there are so many opportunities for us to have conversations with people, aren't there? In our workplaces, in our schools, in the gym, places where you practice your hobbies and and where you eat and where you hang out. There's all these different places and you can start out really simply by asking questions. You don't have to have all the four spiritual laws in place and have the Roman road in place and all this stuff. You don't have to have all that stuff in place. Don't make evangelism and sharing the gospel so complicated. What are the certain things in life? Death and taxes, right? Death and taxes. Those are certain things in life. You all know what happens if you don't pay taxes. Do you know what happens after you die? That's it. And then be quiet. Listen. Or you can ask questions like this. Why do you think we exist? What are your thoughts about Jesus? You can even use Scriptures not to preach a sermon. Right? You just use it as a talking point. This is what Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, this is what it says. And you can simply ask this. Jesus said, Come to Me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. What are your thoughts about that statement? And not the Christian religion, but just Jesus' statement. Don't focus on the Christian politics and the religion and all these things that people have kind of strayed away from the Gospel. Stick to the Gospel. Stick to Jesus. And then just ask people what they think about that. What they think about the Gospel. What they think about Jesus. Not all this other stuff. I think a lot of us have kept Jesus to ourselves. We just kind of live this covert Christian life and we just kind of keep Jesus to ourselves. And it's not meant to be that way. We need to go out to the highways and the hedges and compel people to come into the kingdom. Have we gotten too comfortable in our church? I think some of us have. I think some of us have gotten too comfortable with Jesus. And we're thinking that He's just our buddy who kind of just hangs out with us. And He's just kind of with us. He is the Savior of the world. He is God. 
And I think we get too comfortable and casual with Jesus sometimes. And we lose reverence for Him. And I understand how that can be, especially since we value being comfortable and we value being casual, especially in the Bay Area. We like that, right? That's just, just, that's just California living. And we like that. Have we forgotten that He is God? He's God. He told us in Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Again, that word go. Go. Have some of us gone too comfortable inside the church? And we're not going. And then there are some who haven't invested into the church family. You're here, and you've taken it even a step further that you haven't even done anything inside here. See, we need everyone to contribute to the church family. Why? Because we need to be a good home for God's adopted children. The adoption process is really involved, isn't it? When kids get adopted, and maybe some of you are familiar with this about the adoption process, going through the application and all the questions uh, and and the orientations and the interviews and and all those assessments, right? They do background checks and reference checks and security checks and credit checks, finance checks, home checks, pet checks, medical checks, employment checks, psychological checks, marital checks. They go check everything. They check everything. Everything. Why is that done? Why do they go such painstaking checks? Because it's so important to know that the child is going to a home that is prepared and that is able to care for that new addition to the family. Is our church even ready to take on new people? To take on more adoptions? It would be great. But could we even handle it? You as siblings, or potential siblings, how are you contributing to making this a great home for those adopted into the kingdom of God? And we are working on it as a leadership. We are working on it as an eldership, as a church staff. But we need everyone... Everyone here to make this a great home for God's adopted children to grow and develop into His disciples of Jesus. We need everyone's hands in this. You can't just sit there and absorb this stuff anymore. you got to get busy and work. you got to pray. you got to do something. I don't want to point you guys out, but the majority of you are just sitting here. Seriously. And so how are you going to care for people? If you're a visitor here, ignore me. I love you. I just want to hug you. If you've been here for six months, a year, and you're not doing anything, discipline. I'm chastising you. Do something. Do something. Clean up your room. Do the dishes. Right? Do something. You you can't just watch TV anymore. You can't just watch television anymore. 
You gotta do something. Right? And once you're 18 and you, you know, it's time to go. I'm not interested in having people live and die here. Really, I'm not. I'm really not interested in you making this your church until you live and die. If you do, God bless you. I will bury you. I will do that. I will do that. I will do the whole process. I will do the whole thing. I will, I will carry us all the way through. And it's not to say I want to kick you guys out. What I, I do want you guys to go. Right? Go out there and make disciples. Go on the highways and the byways. Bring people into the kingdom. It's not about us making this thing like a big old mega church and let's gather everyone as much as possible. No, just get equipped here and go. Go. I have no desire to keep you here forever. I want to equip you though. And then you go. Grow up. Leave the house. Grow up. Do something. Right? I don't want a 40 year old guy living here watching TV. Verse 35. And I tell you, you will not see me until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Jerusalem won't see Jesus again until he returns in glory. And then they will recognize Jesus is indeed God. And so some will receive Him, some will not. Where are you this morning? Some of you will receive Him, some will not. Some you already have. And this is written multiple times in Hebrews chapter 3 and chapter 4. Today, today, right now, present, If you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts. Will you receive Jesus as your Savior this morning if He isn't already? Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts. Which means, today, if you hear His voice and you do not respond, you are hardening your heart. Blessed is He who comes in the name of the Lord. Let us pray. Jesus, thank You for Your Word. I pray, Lord, that You would cure us of our slothfulness, of our laziness, of our procrastination for being a laborer of the harvest, for not earnestly praying for those who are lost. God, I pray that You would equip our church to work hard for the kingdom, to depend on You, Holy Spirit, as we pray earnestly. Lord, forgive us when we don't do that. In Jesus' name, Amen.